Round one, fight. Heroes never die. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. <laughs> I used to be an adventurer like you. Then I took an arrow in the knee. Power, sex, sex, power. They both come down to one thing. Hungry Gamers. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to the 321st episode of the Hungry Gamers Podcast. We are powered by APIC.net and those sexy audio-based legends at Audio-Technica. Go upgrade your Audio-Technica game today at audiotechnica.com. I'm your extremely humble host, Brendan White. You can find me just about everywhere at Brendan 8 Bits. And joining me on this episode, as is tradition, my podcast, Right I Die, the Baba Yaga to my nameless generic European assassins. You can find her on them socials at Miss Ali Hart. Miss Ali Hart, how the bloody hell are you? I'm doing good, doing good on this Friday slash Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming to you from the past and the future at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, I've got to be honest, like I'm I'm absolutely buggered, buggered this week. I just feel like everything has been kind of endless and there's been non-stop just work and things to deal with. I don't know if it's just me. I feel like a lot of people are pretty exhausted and it's still the start of the year. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. Like it's the, the end of quarter madness for, for sure. anyone in, in sort of, I guess, sales oriented based jobs where you're measured on targets and things so end of month end of quarter was very stressful for for everybody i'd say myself very much included because yeah it was it was a big week work-wise and um yeah i'm so tired like i know it's only saturday morning but i'm already looking forward to a nap after this recording (laughs) to uh try and recharge a little bit more of these batteries but uh we've made it we are now into april it is april fool's day here in Australia, as we currently record, it's not quite yet the same across the rest of the globe. But uh, if if you are celebrating April Fool's Day, maybe don't, because some of the jokes that people make or some of the pranks that people do are just so distasteful and really gross. So just be careful with the the pranks and the jokes you're making, because uh, you know some of the things you think might be funny can be pretty uh, personal and, uh, you know, impactful to people. So just be careful with your whole, ha April Fool's kind of shit because uh, there's real people on the other end of those jokes. Uh, I'm glad you kind of, like, reminded me because at least now, tomorrow, any absurd advertisements or oddities I can question thinking now that it is April Fool's. So mm. I'm glad you gave me that reminder. Yeah, it's it's just a it's just a weird time. Like I've I've never been a big April Fools type that that mm. got behind it and um it's it's funny cuz I've got a few friends who who have their birthday on April Fools and also uh you know the late great Rick White's birthday was April Fools so I'm going to be enjoying uh, a bit of Chinese food and some Coca-Cola as is tradition to to keep the memory of my old man alive now. So that's what I'm going to be doing today or tonight eating nasty Chinese and drinking Coke and Sounds yeah, cheers and cheers and pop a Rick up there in the clouds while he smokes 500 cigarettes a day. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, we're here. Episode three, two, one on THG. Great number episode. Yeah. Great number episode. And um, I wanted to jump in first and I'll talk about what I've watched really quick. And mm-hmm. I went to the cinema and checked out uh, everyone's favorite assassin, superhero action superstar helmed by the 58 year old Keanu Reeves. Obviously we're talking about John Wick here. Mm-hmm. Went and watched John Wick 4 and the the hype and the reviews that we're seeing around the traps, the 10 out of 10s we're seeing from some places or, you know, the, the 90s, I think it's currently 94 on Metacritic. Don't quote me exactly, but uh, it is great. Like it is over two and a half hours. It is a long, long revenge ride, but as is tradition with anything that John Wick is attached to, it just oozes coolness, like the way it's shot, the scenes, the lighting, the soundtrack, the hand-to-hand combat, all that. Like It is just like so smooth and so cool and just awesome to watch. And it's just a feast for the senses. And I love where they've taken the story, where they've sort of continued to up the ante and the stakes. Like you sit there and go, how can this... Mm-hmm. franchise elevate itself further after what's happened in the previous three but it does and it's great 
and I love the characters. Obviously, Keanu is a saint. Everyone loves Keanu. And him in this role and seeing what he does at 58 years old, like, because he's done like 90 plus percent of the stunts in this movie, in the, the previous movies. And the way that he can move and learn these things at that age, like hat tip to you, old man, because it is very admirable. But yeah, John Wick 4... It is great. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a good long while. It's one of the best action films I've seen in an even longer while. And I'd say it's probably, you know, recency bias aside, the best film in the franchise so far, which is rare to say when you're four movies deep. Yeah, I would say, like, I I would say that the John Wick 2 and 3, I kind of get a little muddled up between what happens in each one, like I kind of get mm-hmm. them mixed up a little. So I would I would say that they kind of probably fell a little bit more flat in contrast to the impact of John, like the original movie John Wick that established the whole thing. But to hear that the fourth installment is just amazing. Like everyone is raving about it. There's just positive reviews and it seems like there's a lot of potential for spin-off as well. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. I I was feeling a bit pessimistic about there being a fourth installment of these movies, but everyone has said it's amazing. So I'm actually I am actually going to see it tomorrow. So Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to uh hearing your thoughts about it cuz it, it blew mm. me away like it it was, yeah, like a longer runtime. It did not feel that way. Like it was just the pace of it. It just kept going and moving forward and just adding new set pieces and new elements and new bits of story. Like it had a really great pace. And some of the, the locations where they're shooting this, like in, you know, in, in the Middle East and in France and in parts of Europe, like the scenery and the locations just, oh, it's just a visual spectacle. And then you throw in that love of, of neon and sort of that synth wavy yeah. sort of vibe and aesthetic that's that's constant through the John Wick franchise. It's great. And, and then that crunchy soundtrack, it's just oh, it's it's everything that I wanted. And I was really, really happy with the end result. And yeah, we've got the a couple of spin-offs. We've got one that ties into uh, what's called Ballerina, which is sort of allegedly yeah, set between right. I can't remember if it's set between films two and three or three and four but it's it's set before uh john wick four and um yeah my uh my my dream girl anna diamas is the the lead in that one so i'm looking forward to seeing what she does there in that and then we've also got one that ties into the like which is the series i think they're doing which ties into the 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 hotels around the around the globe and how they weave in as far as a safe haven for for the assassins and whatnot. So there's there's plenty of uh, John Wick universe that's getting built out. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, history and lore there that they can probably dig up and, and sort of uh, explain to us in more detail. So I'm, I'm all for it. If it stays at this sort of standard, make this stuff forever. But if like it does start to wane and, and get a little watered down, then maybe pull the pin. We don't want it to just become a, a bit of a cheap knockoff that's yeah. you know the wish version of John Wick, you could say. But if it stays at this high degree then yeah, make it, make it forever because it's, it's just good, fun, powerful, impactful storytelling and just the, the combat, like the hand-to-hand and then the gunplay. It's like, get out of here. This is so damn slick. Mm. I must admit, I do love that trope of having a catalogue of unique assassins with their backgrounds and their own styles of how they approach a target. So uh, evolving more onto that aspect of the John Wick universe does sound pretty cool, but I do agree with you. you got to sometimes take a step back and you don't want to ruin something good. So mm. Yeah, I, I agree. L- less, less is more, especially when a franchise is getting done at this high standard. Like I've, I've completely fallen off on, on the example I'll throw out here as far as as like the fast universe. Like I know they're at what fast 10 now or whatever. Like I can't tell if the quality's improved or not because I fell off at maybe, I don't know, fast four. So I'm, I'm way back there in the, in the dust, but yeah, it it shouldn't just become a franchise that makes money for the sake of making money. Making money, exactly. Hopefully they can add substance to it for, for the future. And, And if Keanu is indirectly involved behind or in front of camera still hopefully he's got to say that he wants to be respectful to that and keep it at that that high caliber of storytelling because it's just so good so yeah get out and check out john wick 4 it is phenomenal it's my favorite entry in the franchise a little bit of a longer run but does not feel that way and man it is great that's awesome great great great. uh and also 
I've been playing through a game we mentioned uh, last week as far as what was coming out this this week that we've just uh, managed to navigate our way through, and that is Black Salt Games' game Dredge. So I've picked that up on the Xbox Series X and been working my way through it here and there over the week, and it's great. It is a fishing game at its core, but there is this like sinister evil ominous mystery lurking just below the surface you know i I don't want to say much i don't want to spoil anything from a narrative perspective but yeah the the game it starts up pretty pretty quickly and you put into the shoes of this nameless fisherman who's washed up on the shores of this um, small island town called the greater marrow and then from Mm -hmm. there you're, you're going out fishing every day, paying off your debt because your your boat got smashed to bits on the rocks. The mayor's like, we're going to give you this other boat, but you've got to pay off this loan. As is tradition, you know, there's mm-hmm. plenty of games like that where it weaves into this loan-based currency system. And so you go out and fish every day, but the, the mayor and then the local townsfolk are like, just make sure you're back before, you know, sunset because when it gets dark, you know, you don't want to be out in the water when it's dark. So... It's very ominous and, and anything mm. you do in the game as far as navigating your 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 vessel on the water, you've, there's, a, there's a timer at the top and you're watching the minutes tick by. When you start fishing, the minutes tick by a lot quicker. So you've really got to juggle your time as far as, oh, I can see a, a swell of fish over there in the distance. Will I have enough time to drive over there? Drive a boat? Is that, is that the right term? Sail. Sail a boat? Yeah. Maneuver my boat over there catch some fish and then try and make it back before the sun sets and, and it gets a bit uh, a bit sketchy or what. So there's this real calculated effort in the game where uh, for the first few hours I was playing, I didn't know what was like once the sun started to set, like I didn't know what was going to happen, but just the, the, the townsfolk just instilled this fear in me where I'm like, I'm not fucking around with it anyway. I'm getting home <laughs> early every day. I don't want to see what happens. But then as you progress through the story and you get given tasks, it's like, you know, you need to catch certain types of fish for the fishmonger to make more money. Mm-hmm. But then some of the fish or some of the sea creatures only come out of a nighttime. So there's this oh. risk where you've got to start navigating through the the evening and you've got lights on your ship so you can turn them off to be, I guess, less less of an eyesore, less of a chance of getting detected about uh, by whatever is out there. And then mm-hmm. also... Your character, the poor fisherman you play, has like this paranoia level that sets in as well. So you're dealing with your own paranoia and anxiety plus the darkness and the fog around you while you're trying to catch these things in out in this swell, not knowing what's coming because it's got some real like Lovecraftian vibes to it. Like oh, so, cool. you know, what lurks beneath the beneath the sea out here in Greater Marrow and the the broader islands. So. At its heart, like you mentioned when you watched the trailer, like it does have a very cute art aesthetic. It's, it does. The color palette's really bright during the day. The characters are, you know, pretty unique in their own right. The the way the story's told, it's usually by a fixed uh, a fixed sort of image pane of a character with the dialogue popping through. There's no like cutscenes with characters and whatnot. But you meet a whole host of characters. They're all very memorable in good and bad. Excuse me, in good and bad ways. The fishing mechanic is great where you can upgrade your boat to, uh, you know, have certain abilities to catch rarer fish or, you know, you have deeper, more deep sea based equipment so you can sort of get deeper down the bottom to get maybe rare and exotic types of sea creatures. You've got a a, a big um, thing you catch on early in the game where you're then able to sort of dredge the cert, like dredge the depths of the sea to bring up treasures and stuff like that. So there is some depth to the the core loop as far as the fishing goes, but then chucking this sort of really ominous, cultish, uncertain badness that hides under the under the waves of, of an evening just is a nice little wrinkle to a to a formula that I really love. Like I'm a I'm a sucker for a fishing game, but having this mm-hmm. like HP Lovecraft inspired story that that chucks in over the top and just it slow rolls as far as how it like expands on the world and what's what's at stake and stuff like i really like that it's some subdued storytelling where it's done through character interaction it's done through finding diary entries and stuff like that from from other shipwrecks around so when you're dredging you're bringing up stuff from the ships and you're getting secrets about what was their downfall or what's happening in this cluster of islands and it's just really fun because there's you know inventory management where you can only catch a certain amount of fish because you've only got a certain amount of space 
management of your ship as well. Like if it takes damage, you've got to get it repaired, same as your equipment. So there's all these little management wrinkles that you need to factor in on top of just, you know, living your best fisherman life and also avoiding the big bad nasty that, that lives out there in the in the fog and in the sea. And it's really, really good. Like it's it's a great little indie game. It's only like a gig download, so it's not a big dense game. Sure. But um, you know, the, the the gameplay loop's great. The the risk versus reward of, of cruising out there in the in the deep darkness and it's just good. Like it's just a like it's just a nice chill not chill, well I guess chill in a way. Like, you're just cruising. You just don't have to give the game its full attention, but you kind of find yourself doing it anyway as you're dropping a line and catching fishies and and, uh, just uh, having a good good old time out there in the sea. I think that's brilliant, doing the juxtaposition between a sweet, calming activity as going fishing, but then having that ominous, unsettling nature kind of to contrast it i think it's brilliant it puts the 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 calmness puts you in a false sense of you know safety and security and then you're balancing out with the whatever the depths below i think it's great and like i agree the art style still looks amazing to me and you kind of have sold me a little bit on this one i think it's the right level of cute and creepy that i kind of like i i think you dig it like i know that you're not big on the sea and being out there but the good the good thing is you're always transfixed on on your boat so you're not going under the water you're not like navigating and swimming through so you're just always on surface level fishing and navigating the world around so i think it's a game you'd be able to play yeah uh, without too much feeling of discomfort out in the ocean because yeah open open sea is is scary in game and in real life but the way this is done and the art style and just the camera view management where you've got the the right stick. You can sort of zoom in, zoom out. You can be right close on the boat. You can sort of zoom out and have a bit of an isometric view if you like, which might increase or lessen the the unease of being out in, in the open water. But it's really, really great. And seeing that um, that panic meter increasing is so good. It just adds this extra mm-hmm. layer of tension. When you're already trying to stealth your way back to the dock to pay, like to sell off the fish you've caught that day or the the random mystery findings you've done from dredging combined with what's after me in the ocean, what's happening out here and that panic meter sort of ticking up. It's so great. Um, it's just super fun. Like I was very excited when this got announced last year and black salt games have really hit it out of the park. It's about 30, I think it was 34 bucks Australian on the Xbox marketplace. So was that maybe 20 ish bucks us? Yeah. Perfect. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a decently priced game, not too expensive. Available on Xbox, PC, PlayStation. I don't think it's out on Switch just yet, or if it's coming later. But it's it's planned for Switch as well. Nintendo fans, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But it plays really well on controller. Uh, it looks great. The soundtrack is great, and just that sort of constant sense of like unease from the ominousness that's around uh, these islands is just, mm, I'm a big fan, big fan of Dredge. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm very happy I picked this one up and, and gave it a spin because, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's cast its hook out and firmly sunk itself into me as it wound me back to the boat that is Dredge. So, uh, nice. yeah, check it out. Check mm-hmm. it out. But you haven't been doing a ton this week because no. you've been so damn busy. So damn busy. Life gets a hold of you sometimes. I've only gotten to dabble a little bit in Fortnite um and just mess mess around in that i i'm a chaos demon people aren't appreciating my love for fireflies <laughs> unfortunately in the game but yeah spice things up a little bit but apart from that yeah just haven't really i'm not up to date on my tv shows and yeah like, like so, life's, so rude yeah it's so many so many things to do and just not enough time to do them that's mm, life. life is so rude sometimes I've got to ask though, did you manage to, you jumped into the second round, like the open beta at Diablo 4? Did you did. manage to play that at all last weekend? I, 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 I did, I did. Um, uh, only got to play one day's worth of it really. Um, jumped into Necromancer. It was all right. Um, I, 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 I definitely will be playing Sorcerer. But I, I had a very broken necromancer based on two specific skill tree choices and a ring that I had, which essentially um, made it so 
when you are necromancy, you have the ability to use blood, uh, mm-hmm. blood magic, essentially. And one of the things that you can do is turn into a blood mist. And then when you hover over bodies, like dead bodies, like corpses that are on the ground, there is uh, a form that you can uh, make those bodies explode, uh, hurting enemies. And then, so with that combined, I had a ring that made it, that it just stacked up. So for every body that exploded, it just extended the mist. So then if there was just a field of dead bodies and I hit the mist, I was just going around and around (laughs) and around and around and around, around, killing bodies, dropping corpses, making them explode. And then the circle of death continued. So. It, that was fun. I tried to do a world event, but bless all those level 13 people in that 20, level 25 event. Unfortunately, it was not successful. It was an experience. Um, but yeah, I, it definitely sealed the deal for me that I was a sorcerer. But it also sealed the deal for me that I just, I can't wait for the Diablo content to fully release. Yeah, I, I jumped in last weekend and worked my way through uh, the, the open beta as well. And just like you, it seems we, we've walked the exact same path. I, I spun up a Necro because I, I, I didn't get to play it sort of early on the Saturday, but just reading the feedback, a lot of people were like, yeah, the Druid's kind of crappy to play. It's not the most exciting. It's a little bit weak or here or there. So I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll fire up the, the Necromancer as well. And similar thing, like... I only usually had to hit like one or two abilities because the way I built out this this character spec, all my little undead minions were just running roughshod through everywhere. Like upgraded them and I had like a group of skellies with reaper sites and I had a few mage skeletons with me and I'm just hitting my one or two abilities and these things are just doing the rest. Like it was, it was fun, but like the degree of difficulty was not there for me. I was playing one-handed a lot of the time like because I could navigate with the joystick mm-hmm face buttons on the back on the elite controller and so i could be eating dinner or having a sip of drink and just playing with my left hand and uh working my way through it but um yeah it's, it's still fun and i'm hyped as hell to uh to to jump into the full release in early june because uh the game plays it played a lot better on this open beta Definitely. i didn't notice any any um any sort of connectivity issues, even the queues, like it, it started the game up and it was very ominous message about, you know, queue times are going to be extensive. Then, then I jumped in and it was like, queue time, less than one minute. I'm like, oh, cool. That's fine. Thank you. I had a 20 minute wait. It wasn't too bad, but it was a 20 minute wait. But um, yeah, I agree. Uh, in contrast to the previous beta testing, which is interesting because the first beta was exclusive for people who had code access and mm-hmm. this beta that passed was open for everyone. So um, I guess they learned a lot from us that paid for that experience or you know had paid in some kind of way, whether it was uh, pre-ordering or getting a dump of KFC burger. Yes. Um, but I want to say I hope not everyone is going to choose necromancer when the game fully releases because it got confusing having all those skelly boys uh minions running around their necromancers it just got a little confusing on who was the bad guy and which which skellies were mine and Mm -hmm. i'm sure the servers really hated how many necromancers were running around there was there was many that's for damn Mm -hmm. sure and I, i love when you go into a friendly town and your little skelly minions are still just there hanging out following you around you're like oh, i'm just gonna go to the shops or change my clothes then you just got your little spectral skellies just hanging sitting out. there almost waiting on the bed for you <laughs> it was, yeah. uh hilarious but uh yeah super fun i'm excited to play the full release when it drops on the 6th of june on all those platforms but yeah it was a it was a good time the last two weeks with uh the Diablo 4 beta in the open and closed version. So hopefully everyone else that got a taste had a good time too. Yeah. Uh, quick bit of housekeeping. Obviously, if you wanted to support us monetarily and throw a little bit of cash in our pocket, which would be appreciated, uh, you can head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash we are 8-bit. can support us from the low, low price of $1 per month, getting exclusive access to perks, giveaways, and more. Want to upgrade your merch game? Head on over to shop8bit.net to get your uh, get your body covered in t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and everything else in between. And then if you wanted to check out all our content as a whole, our uh, go-to hub is videogamesandculture.com. And while you're there, be sure to join us on Discord and follow us on all the socials at We Are 8 Bits. 
especially on TikTok. We are, I know it's still a very much a very sensitive topic in the States. Those yeah. uh, congressmen and women are doing all they can to uh, get the evil TikTok banned. And um, Bill 686 or yeah. 8... 686 or 8... It's 686, it's not 866. No, I think it's... Yeah, I think you're right, 686. Yeah, that's that's scary. Like, if that bill gets passed, it is scary for people in America. So, hopefully that bill gets nipped in the bud because, uh, yeah, you do not want to muck around with that. And I quickly just wanted to shout out. I've done done a bit more research on the Australian Classification Board. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so so out of out of the board, there is seven regular board members, or let's say seven full time or board certified members. Okay, four four of which are in fact old white dudes or old white dudettes. Okay, and then on top of that, there's a broader eleven temporary board members that are also part of this decision process. I don't know oh. if all eighteen of them decide together on every title from game, film, TV, etc. But there's 18 people in there. The 11 temporary board members, it's a very diverse list in there, which is great. A lot of younger-minded people from all walks of life. But the primary seven power players, you could say, the fact that over 50% of them are of the old and white variety, uh, yeah, goes goes to confirm our suspicions here. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of uh, Karens, you could say, that they look very Karen-esque in uh, in their profile pictures that I've discovered. So, yeah, it was uh, an exhausting process digging up and researching the classification board members. But, uh, yeah, there's 18, seven of which are regular board members. Four of those are old white dudes or dudettes. So um, mm. take that well, information as you will. Well, props to you. You did the work. I did. I did. I uh, followed through. I don't always do that with things that I randomly just... just State uh, throw statements around on this podcast, so I feel good to mark that as complete and move on to the next thing, which would obviously be this. This week's news headlines presented by Audio Technica. Want to shout out the APIC community for helping shape this week's focus news topics as well. So this is the news done in collaboration with us and the APIC Nation. So the first one, don't really need to deep dive on this, but I've just titled this one, The Last of Us Part 1 Runs Like Balls. I don't know if anyone's seen some of the still shots or the screenshots that have been getting shared on social media about how like Joel and Ellie are looking on mm. the PC version of The Last of Us Part 1 where they like Joel looks like Oscar the Grouch. It is so insane how bad the graphics look in some of these uh, some of these screenshots, and I was cackling this week. It's a little baffling, especially when you have just had a wonderful, successful run of your series, and then you obviously want to get new viewers, sorry, new gamers, I guess, new players to experience the original concept of where this series came from. And then obviously the PC players out there are getting the opportunity to play it on PC for the first time, the remastered mm. on for the first time. I can't remember if it's ever been on PC or if this is like a specific edition. So I apologize, but uh, just for it just to look the way it does, it's it's weird. Like you wouldn't think that this would be an issue or this kind of problem would come to light. I don't know. I just I I, I am honestly just in disbelief. I just didn't think like a company like Naughty Dog and off the off the back of a successful series would even have a slither of this opportunity to happen but it, yeah, it did it's baffling hey like like you said like like Naughty Dog's not some small up and coming indie developer like it is one of the largest uh developers in gaming and they make games at such a high standard this feels very un Naughty Dog and I'm assuming as far as the uh, partnership they've had with with some of the other developers to port this across to PC is maybe where some of the onus lies. But the fact that they didn't maybe vet and verify a lot of this in more detail prior to release and just make sure this thing runs to the standard you'd expect it should uh, is a little is a little uh, eyebrow raising, especially the eyebrows that Joel uh, has in some of these screenshots because they are big. They are big and they are bushy, and I know big and bushy eyebrows. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it'll get patched, it'll get optimized, and and I'm sure it could be a mixture of some of the hardware it's playing on. Obviously, PCs are all built different. It's opposed to a PlayStation where 
it's consistent out of the it's box. Yeah. Some of that combination of GPU, CPU, and other miscellaneous hardware could make things act a little bit janky, which is probably what's uh, you know <laughs> uh, what's created some of these screenshots and memorable moments. But uh, yeah, that hopefully they can patch it in and, and PC players uh, spitting up The Last of Us Part 1 for the first time can get a good experience because it's a great game and even though we're making fun of it now, we do want everyone to experience the greatness of that course. is The Last of Us. Of uh, the next bit of news, obviously we've had the uh, BAFTA Game Awards this week and the, the winners that uh, were announced or awarded, you could say, in London... Uh, last night saw God of War taking home the most accolades. The acclaimed PlayStation Epic won five prizes, including both performance categories for Kratos actor Christopher Judge and Angra Boda actors Leia De Leon Hayes, as well as the publicly publicly voted EE Game of the Year. Three other titles picked up two BAFTAs each, including UK developed Vampire Survivors, which was awarded Best Game and Game Design. From Software's Elden Ring won the award for multiplayer and original property, while indie hit Tunic took debut game and artistic achievement. So, uh, God of War Ragnarok taken home five, uh, which is great. But seeing Vampire Survivors yes. get the Game of the Year award at the BAFTAs is, you know, well deserved. Like we always talk about these little indie gems coming out of nowhere and uh, tearing up the award ceremonies. And, and it's happened again here with Vampire Survivors, which you love. I, yeah, I was always, <laughs> I was always shocked about this like change of me hearing about a game and not understanding why it gets all the hype to being absolutely obsessed with it and understanding it completely. I, I think I am trying to gravitate and pay more attention to the BAFTAs in their awards. I believe that they may be, I don't know, do they have a different reviewing scheme than the other award shows that we kind of see? Like, it feels that way. It, it feels does. like the BAFTAs are a little bit more structured and, and serious and, and probably regimented in their reviewing process. So, And it just sounds fancier, right? Oh, it's the BAFTAs, right? The BAFTAs. Um, uh, also, Immortality. They won uh, for narrative, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's great to see them getting the accolades for that as well because it's, it is it is quite the narrative, mm-hmm. De- obviously depending how you play it too. But um just a lot of thought that went into that as well. So, yeah, uh, Indie Gems, little hidden ones that kind of came out and surprised us all and they're getting all the accolades. And um, that just encourages more for uh, more funding and more push for indie titles and getting the respect that they deserve. There's yeah, exactly. stuff out there. Completely agree. And uh, shifting gears to a little bit of negative news, it seems we can't go too many weeks here without some talk about layoffs. And Electronic Arts this week has announced it is laying off approximately 6% of its staff or around 775 people roughly based off some metrics that I sort of saw online as part of a restructuring plan that also includes optimizing its real estate portfolio and refocusing its efforts around growth opportunities. In a note to staff about the cuts, EEO, EA CEO Andrew Wilson emphasized that the company is, in quotes, operating from a position of strength and will be focused on a handful of strategic priorities going forward, building games with large communities, making the most of these communities with social and creator tools, and creating blockbuster interactive storytelling, end quote. There is more quotes that uh, Andrew has shared as part of an internal email that went around to staff. You can dig that up. And, and sort of read that in more detail. But the the main point here is, yeah, 6% of EA have been let go, nearly 800 people. Uh, this is an ongoing trend that we seem to be talking about all the time here as far as the tech industry hemorrhaging money, not making the profit margins they're hoping for. And in return, people suffer, people get let go. So we wish all of those 775 people asterisk because that number is not exactly confirmed all six percent of those staff the best and hopefully they can find good work elsewhere really soon but it sucks and sadly it's just a part of this industry it it really is and i feel like we're always consistently talking about mass tech layoffs and especially in bulk um ea announcing these layoffs and then we also had the layoffs at twitch um so I could only imagine not only how difficult it is to be a part of the mass layoffs and being a part of the group, but then obviously how intense and competitive the market must become afterwards because while obviously Twitch and 
working for EA, there's probably a lot of differences in roles and stuff, but I would imagine that there could be a few roles in the industry that could kind of cross over that now everyone would be kind of chewing at the bit to get to. So it is, as we always say, just scary to see these layoffs. It's scary to... This must be scary for people that had passions to jump into the industry and to only see absolutely how fleeting it is. And it's just, it's it's a risk. It's just, it's now looking to be a risk to even take any chance to pursue any dreams or any opportunities that maybe you are aspiring to reach. So it sucks. It really does. It really does. Like it's such a volatile and uncertain space. Like yeah. you mentioned, like so many people aspire to, to work in games, whether it be from a development side, publishing side, PR, et cetera, et cetera. But you're constantly just seeing this churn of people just getting chewed up and spat out due to profit margins not being where they need to be or or companies refocusing their energy and all those other buzzwords they try and use to justify uh, firing of staff. So, yeah, we wish everyone all the best at EA and Twitch and, and hopefully we don't report on a similar announcement like this in the next few weeks, but it feels like it's going to happen because it's just, uh, you know, death taxes and firings in the game industry is, you know, things you can't seem to avoid. That's the way. The next bit of news, a Scott Pilgrim anime is on the way from Netflix starring Michael Cera, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, and all the original movie cast as voice actors. A casting announcement trailer released on YouTube confirmed the long-rumoured series, and alongside a familiar background and sound, a ton of familiar names popped up on screen. Sarah is returning as the titular Scott Pilgrim, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead is back as Ramona Flowers, alongside Mark Webber as Stephen Stills, Alison Pill as Kim Pine, Johnny Simmons as Neil Young, as young Neil, not Neil Young. <laughs> Great musical performer though, Neil Young. Love you. Uh, Devil Woman, absolute banger. Anna Kendrick as Stacey Pilgrim, Ellen Wong as Knives Chow, Aubrey Plaza as Julie Powers, Larson as Envy Adams, and Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells. So the entire original like acting crew that, that uh, jumped in and lent their talents to the film are returning to lend their voices to the anime and this is awesome news. Um, this this game and this franchise, you know, this comic, whatever you want to sort of, or wherever your entry pointing to Scott Pilgrim was, is perfect material for an anime. Like this, if it's done well, could be a banger. And I'm very excited for it. And uh, what are you feeling about this, Miss Hart? I'm I'm ecstatic, especially the fact that they've used the uh, original cast from the movie to voice these characters. And I the name escapes me, so I feel horrible for it. But apparently, the band that I believe did the video game soundtrack, I mm-hmm. believe they're involved as well doing the the music. So. Um, the only thing that I want to know about this is that they've obviously said Scott Pilgrim anime. Scott Pilgrim, I believe, originally had a lot of uh, illustration already attached and it was very mm-hmm. cutesy, very blocky uh, art style. So that the fact that this is being described as an anime and then we're using the voices from the from the real life movie I'm, I'm just i want to know are we going what kind of art style are we going for here is it going to be a bit more on the realistic side or are we going to that original kind of blocky uh i don't want to say childlike but just a little bit family friendly kind of style so that's the only thing i want to see yeah i'm, I'm interested to see what sort of uh look and feel they go with for this anime but you know netflix have got some some great ip in their portfolio in that anime space and and Scott Pilgrim can slot right on in there. And yeah, the fact that they've gone one for one from the, the, the live actors transitioning into the voice acting role that they played. I love that. uh, Cause it's always a little bit of an adjustment when you, you've got an attachment to a character and then it's like, hang on, this voice isn't the same as what I heard or saw in this. So it's nice that we're going to get continuity there and yeah, I think this is going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I cannot remember the the band's name that that yeah helmed a lot of the soundtrack, but music plays a huge part, obviously, in this universe. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that will translate to to the the anime um, adaptation because you know just the musical notes and everything getting played across in big anime battle moments. Like mm. we, we get those live action sort of anime inspired battle moments in the film. 
and seeing that now dialed up even further in an anime is going to be sweet. Yeah. It should be, like, really stunning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, something else that uh, everyone in gaming is very much looking forward to, I think, uh, ties into The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So Nintendo uh, has shared this past week some uninterrupted gameplay of said game ahead of its May release date. The new footage showed off new abilities for Link, a closer look at the Sky Islands we've seen in all of the trailers, weapon durabilities return, and a lot more. In the gameplay footage of Breath of the Wild sequel, the weapon durability system returns as Link fights a construct with a tree branch, which breaks quickly. However, a new ability called Fuse allows Link to merge weapons, materials, and even enemies' weapons to create more powerful weapons. A new Ultra Hand ability was also shown, which allows Link to construct vehicles such as rafts. Additionally, a new Ascend ability was demonstrated, which allows Link to move through ceilings. The game is set to release on May the 12th of 2023 and full disclosure listeners, uh, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've missed us talking about the the Zelda franchise over the previous 320 episodes, but um, you know, I'm not the biggest Zelda fan. Ali's probably slightly more, but still not as on board as the broader gaming space. And we're not disrespecting the franchise by any means. Like, it's won many an award. Uh, Breath of the Wild, obviously, Game of the War, Game of the Year winner, unanimously through so many um, award sort of criteria several years back now, and this one will probably do the same. But it just doesn't move the needle for me. I'll play it probably day one and give it a go. But I'm just not all in on Link and Zelda and this world as a whole. It looks fine. I like that there's some new mechanics or some new. Um, new sort of systems they're weaving in the fact that the durability system has a little bit of a new coat of paint with this uh um, fusibility where you can mash things together to make new new powerful weapons which is great but yeah it just doesn't move the needle for me personally for the ones that it does i'm happy for you and i can't wait for you to gush about this game on the 12th of may but for me i'm just uh i'm just making up the numbers Yeah. Uh, For me, I was very late to playing Breath of the Wild. I only played it because of the hype and I just needed something to play on my Switch. And in saying that, I did enjoy the the world of Breath of the Wild. I liked the experience of the NPCs and the environment. However, I just did not care for the story or narrative. I barely touched it. So when I have seen releases of the content for Tears of the Kingdom... It's looking. It was looking very much of the same, so there wasn't really much of a selling point for me. Um, these new systems that they've brought in are cool. Whether they really will draw me into needing to play this game day one, I, I doubt it. But like you said, the fans are loving it. The fans are hyped, so I'm happy for them, and I hope it's just as awesome as Breath of the Wild. I completely agree. Like I'm ecstatic for the for the Zelda purists out there because there has been a lot of positive interaction on social media that i've seen about how hyped they are from this trailer the changes the enhancements etc etc so i'm genuinely happy for everyone that's all aboard with zelda but i am just not i am i am the i'm just the generic gamer here that is just going to play it just to see what the hype's about i'm going in with minimal expectation because yeah the first game in this new reimagined switch based series was great breath of the wild i enjoyed my time with it but um, yeah, it was not game of the year for me. Horizon Zero Dawn was game of the year for me that year. But um, yeah, this this it looks fine. It looks more of the same, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It just yeah it doesn't resonate the way it does with most of games uh, fans, games media than it does with you and I. I think yeah, exactly. Yeah, something else that's not resonating with games fans and games media is to do with multiverses. So Warner Brothers Games and Player First Games have announced this week that early access for multiverses will be closed on June the 25th and will aim to launch the full game in early 2024. The announcement was shared in a blog post last Monday thanking players for participating in the open beta for multiverses and calling it a stepping stone for the next phase of the game. Player First Games, the developers behind Multiverses, confirmed the players uh, confirmed that players who spent money on the game throughout the open beta will not get a refund. The news comes from the official Multiverses website under the FAQ page. 
Under the question, will refunds be available for previously purchased content? Question mark. It reads, this announcement does not change any current refund policies or terms offered by the storefront from which Founders Packs or Gleemium bundles were purchased. For more information, please visit the customer support pages on your various platform. Additionally, refunds are not available as a result of the open beta closure. However, all progress and previously earned or purchased content will carry over when Multiverses returns in early 2024. So six plus month wait between the beta closing and the game coming out next year. Uh, I, I played a bit of Multiverses for a week or two. I enjoyed it. Mm. I wasted some money and bought some Gleemium bundles. And the fact that I guess that money is just a sunk cost now because I don't know if I'd go back next year. Like I had my fun with it, but I've moved on. And I think what Warner Brothers probably aren't thinking about is, you know, the gaming industry is pretty fickle. They move on quick and giving them now six months to find another game to play, another community to get absorbed into and focus on. I feel Multiverses is going to flop next year when it comes out in full. Yeah, I I was actually shocked to hear... I, I obviously didn't really pay too much attention on the release of Multiverses, not realizing that it was a beta uh, that I believe people paid into. I believe it was a purchasable beta or there was something about it. But either way, as it said here, that, that people have invested money into it, whether it is with skins or characters and such. And then to be invested into a game and then be told, thanks for playing. We're cutting it. Uh, we'll see you next year. I don't know how I would feel about that. I don't know if it was ever addressed, if the possibility of it ever happening was ever placed in any kind of, I don't know, maybe some like bylines or somewhere hidden in some documentation. But I just think it, like you kind of said, that the, the industry is fickle. I don't know if this was like some kind of thing that they're doing. Maybe they've already lost momentum of a player base. So maybe they feel by saying like, oh, we're closing it off to make it better. We'll see you next year that once they bring it back online, maybe it'll be like a second wave of hype and getting people on board again. I, I have no clue, but absolutely shutting it down on whatever fan base you had and then saying, we'll see you next year. I don't know. It's, yeah, it just, to me, it sounds like a really bad practice. Maybe it'll pay off, but just to me, it just sounds really weird. I agree with you. I feel this is uh, a calculated move by Warner Brothers games and player first games, but I don't think the calculation is correct because people are going to jump off this and they're going to jump on something else and there's a very high possibility that they will not come back. So Mm. let's see what happens in 2024 when we get the full release of the game. Let's see what they charge for the game too in the full release. Are they going to like release it as a free-to-play game with... Uh, the Founders Packs and the Gleemium Bundles, the way they make their cash? Or are they going to chuck a $20, $30, $40 price tag on it? I don't know. But I feel this is a, a bad play by Warner Brothers Games and Player First Games to close it down, especially for this amount of time. Like, fair enough if they said we're closing the beta and it's going to come out now in June, a couple of months to add some polish and, and get everything perfected. But the fact that Early 2024 could mean it could be six months. It could be, oh, it won't be six months. My math is horrible. It's at least eight months away. It could be a year before we see this game come out again. And yeah, people will be well gone by then. So uh, yeah, I feel this is not going to end well. The only other thing that I think they could be doing by completely wiping it clear off the the player base is maybe by making it no longer accessible, making changes, maybe behind the scenes, they're probably trying to also develop like a scene. Like maybe they're already thinking about developing tournaments, getting esports groups involved so that when they bring it back to market, they've already going to have tournaments ready. They're already going to have teams ready um, because that is definitely one way to get people excited about these kind of, these kinds of games where multiplayer is to already have a scene available didn't really work well for halo but mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh but that's the only other thing i can think of um in this move is just getting it all set up for release again that's fair that's fair. like they could be working behind the scenes with you know places like evo and things where they'll they'll release in full with a 
with the multiverses tournament that goes in and runs in parallel between Street Fighter, Marvel vs. Capcom, Darksiders, etc., etc. So, yeah, that that could be a way to see this game have a little bit more uptake mm. and go head to head with your Smash Brothers and stuff like that. But yeah, the the skeptic in me on this one feels that this is not the right move. But we'll see. We'll be reporting on this probably this time again next year when it's come out <laughs> with either some good or some bad news. But um. Yeah, let's, let's wait and see what happens with multiverses. Uh, something else, though, definitely not in the good news realm, but definitely the bad news realm. And I just wanted to uh, first uh, start my lap around the room, uh, waving waving to the fans, because uh, my prediction here that uh, I, I put out there in January has bared fruit. And uh, this is in relation to, obviously, E3. So almost a year after announcing its return, the Entertainment Software Association announced this week to its members that this year's Electronic Entertainment Expo, otherwise known as E3, has been cancelled. Two sources have confirmed to IGN that the organization announced the cancellation via an email sent out to its members. Can confirm I received this email because uh, we were looking to get some get some media passes to uh, check it out this year. And that is not happening now. So the email said that while E3 remains a beloved event and brand, that the 2023 version simply did not garner the sustained interest necessary to execute it in a way that would showcase the size, strength, and impact of our industry. The ESA concludes the email by reiterating its commitment to advocacy work, but it does not mention undertaking the show again in future years. Following IGN's report, the ESA issued the following public statement from Kyle Marsden-Kish, who is the global VP of gaming for ReadPop. This was a difficult decision because of all the effort we and our partners put toward making this event happen. We had to do what's right for the industry and what's right for E3. We appreciate and understand that interested companies wouldn't have playable demos ready and that resourcing challenges made being at E3 this summer an obstacle they couldn't overcome. For those who did commit to E3 2023, we're sorry we can't put on the showcase you deserve and that you come to expect uh, and that you've come to expect from ReadPop's event experiences. The press release adds that ReadPop and the ESA will continue to work together on in quotes future E3 events. So, there's a lot more to this you can find uh, broader statements and information doing the rounds just chuck it on google jump on ign eurogamer gamesindustry.biz etc etc but Mm -hmm. the main thing here is e3 that was meant to be taking place in june is not happening so june 13th through june 16th gone los angeles convention center now has an opening for something else to to fill that void Mm -hmm. and it would have been the first in-person e3 event since 2019 but like the prediction I stated here in January, I'm tooting my horn a little bit where I said this is the death of E3. I feel that we will not see E3 again in a physical capacity ever. Obviously, they were talking about doing a digital version as well, which has also been been scrapped. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the beginning of the end for uh, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, Miss Hart. How are you feeling about all this? I'm sad. I really thought this was going to be the one opportunity where I'd actually make it to an E3 before it went kaput. In the same sense, I feel like as it was le- as as we got closer to the to this announcement, it was pretty inevitable. All the biggest publishers and consoles and everything, everyone was just like backing out. Each week, we had a new company come out saying like, "Well, we're not going to E3, but we support them in their uh, in their ventures and stuff." And it's like, "Oh god, this is bad." So, um I'm also really anxious because this is a tick on your uh, hot take bet. Uh, so <laughs> I really got to start working on uh, my tolerance to spiciness. Um <laughs> Uh, it is sad. Like, I know that a lot of people at ReadPop obviously were very optimistic and working as hard as they could to make this uh, a possibility. But in the same sense, it, it was a gamble for them to uh, keep pushing and keep pushing and obviously holding back an announcement to say that it is officially cancelled. We are now seeing a lot of people in the industry that may have already made travel plans and hotel purchases or whatever that's needed to in order to actually make the event um they've kind of come back saying that they are unhappy because these plans have already been made badges apparently were already allocated to some people so they feel like that now they've obviously 
going to lose some money based on this mm-hmm. choice as well. So it's sad. E3 was has been quite a pinnacle event in the gaming industry and we've only seen it now kind of decline just more and more obviously due to the due to the covid and everything that kind of followed, but I we are so inundated now with gaming events. Obviously, Summer Games Fest came in and almost like we've got to be honest, Summer Games Fest kind of came in and it is it slowly kind of took over and then it saw its success in being able to fill the void that E3 left. So I guess it's about doing it right, who you know and how you present. We also have all the PAX events. We have Gamescom. We have all the other events that kind of happen throughout the year, even with consoles, uh, companies themselves doing their own events. So it was extremely competitive, but it just seems like E3 was too big for its britches. I don't know. Like either way, it just couldn't couldn't make the cut and it's, it's had to cancel completely, which is sad. It feels that way. Like I, I was fortunate enough to go to E3 in 2017, which which was an awesome experience, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. But from from then, it seems like it's just been steadily on the decline. Whether it be the data breaches, where That's you know true, they, yeah. they've had hacked, and all that, all the all the data of uh, people that went there from media and press and everything else, all that all that information made its way out into the internet. So. There was some some bad bad sort of uh, vibes off the back of that, the cancellations, the the mixed messaging to the market, and like you said, Jeff Keeley, like like we we poke fun at him a lot as far as him trying to be the brand in the face of Game Fest mm. and the Game Awards and stuff like that. But at the same time, like thinking about it, maybe that's a smart play because. You know, E3 is just seen as this faceless um, event run by the ESA, where Jeff Keighley is front and center. He's he's a human. He's personable, and he's always in people's faces for better or for worse. So so maybe that is a bit of a smart play, and yeah, it certainly feels like Jeff Keighley and, and his his events have come in and 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 taken um, ESA's lunch over the last several years, where they've cancelled. E3 and then Summer Game Fest has popped up digitally and all these digital events are just the smart way to do things because the developers and the publishers can control the narrative a lot better. They can showcase polished product and have clear messaging where show floors or live events, there's so many things that could go wrong. The messaging can be incorrect. It cannot be demoed the right way, da-da-da, where digital is the future. So you can see by... You know, PAX here in Australia last year. No, no Sony, no Microsoft, no Nintendo. Uh, no, like with E3 here, everyone was pulling out. Uh, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see similar with with future physical events, no doubt. Like obviously, yeah, we've still got uh, Gamescom in Europe and we've got uh, TGS in Japan, but they're the last two sort of big legacy holdouts outside of your PAXs, which is great, but PAX sort of weaves in other parts of pop culture. But yeah, I think it's just going to be more and more digital-based events because you can capture an audience that way. People don't have to stress about paying for big tickets and waiting in queues and they can get a similar experience from their lounge room, from their bedroom, from wherever they're watching and consuming that content. So it is it is a shame to see E3 be cancelled and I feel ultimately E3 might be yeah put, to, put out to pasture uh, moving forward, I don't know if we'll get another physical E3. We might get like a digital-based event or something, but I feel the old physical show floor at the Los Angeles Convention Center will never be uh, graced by E3 again, which is a shame because it was an awesome experience and it was a huge, huge, huge area that they covered. Like it was the gaming mecca and, and I'm yeah happy that I got to got to experience it at least once. But yeah, E3 is, uh, is going skis and... Uh, on the topic of Jeff Keighley, I don't know if you saw the the tweet that he dropped this morning, but he's cold. They already dropped a tweet about like uh, Summer Game Fest is is still going ahead, or Summer Games Fest is not dead, or something like that. Like pissing on the ashes of of E three five minutes after the announcement was made. Like he ruthless to this week, I'll tell you. I'm very curious if there's some kind of secretive bad blood or any kind of industry poking that may have happened behind the scenes that we're not familiar with where this opportunity to actually succeed and strive. Like, I mean, while it's on the back of everyone's minds, it's like, oh, damn, there's no E3. But there is some at Games Fest. So... 
I don't know. Like, I, I can't blame a man. He was already competing. Like, he, he was already trying to compete with it you know, before it was starting to flounder. So, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, he's, he's dancing on the ESA's grave uh, any chance he gets at the moment. Like, you can't, you can't fault the man's hustle. Like, I feel, yes, he doesn't need to be front and center on everything he does. It should be about the brand and the games as opposed to him being the face of all this stuff. But at the same time, he's had a lot of success off the back of it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to sort of disrespect him too much because he seems to be a smarter man than me as far as, you know, making these inroads and, and building out these great events. But, uh, yeah, we'll pull one out for, for E3. We'll see what happens in the future, if, when, or how they come back and in what regard. But it certainly sounds like, uh, the, the bell is tolling right now and uh, the, the, the cask is getting lowered into the grave here. So, um, yeah, very, very heartfelt sort of apologies and love does go out to everyone in, at Pop who have been working very hard on, on making this thing uh, hopefully become a reality. But sadly, it was not meant to be. Yeah, thanks for the memories, I guess. <laughs> Even but also, so. <laughs> checkbox on my predictions. Get ready, Miss Hart. Damn it. That's spice. All right, let's move on to this. Tweet of the week. And this tweet comes via way of at Nobel Brot, who is uh, a sort of a fairly new games newsbreaker. Great follow on Twitter. Um, if you wanted to follow them on Twitter, it's at K-N-O-E-B-E-L-B-R-O-E-T is their handle. And this was the, the tweet. It goes, Diablo 4 was the franchise's biggest beta to date. Total hours played, 61 million plus. Player deaths, 49 million plus. Monsters killed, 29 billion plus. Most players, uh, like the most played classes were the Sorcerer and the Necromancer, which, you know, we both did on of those and had a great time. And then there's a graphic that was initially shared by by Blizzard as far as, uh, you know, the, 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 the amount of times the Butcher got killed, which was obviously the big open world boss. The amount of people that got killed by the Butcher was actually three to one as far as the Butcher killed three times the amount of players as the players killed the Butcher. And then it ties into also the amount of beta wolf packs earned. So 2.6 million players, you and I were part of that 2.6 million that gets the little cute uh, wolf pack backpack there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, awesome to see. Like we talked about our experiences with Diablo 4 at the start here, but seeing 61 million hours get played over those two weekends. And so, oh, actually, I don't know if that encompasses the closed beta because it just says biggest beta. So I don't know if that... No, that's just the open beta stats, sorry. So that doesn't even include the closed beta stats the week before. So Well, they have the list of the Necromancer there. Necromancer wasn't available until the second beta. So Yeah, the graphic there just says open beta under under the Diablo logo above the icons of the Sorcerer and the Necro. So yeah, this is just for the open beta weekend. So this doesn't even include the numbers from the people that played the weekend before. So that's even more impressive. But mm. short version is get high for Diablo because uh, everybody else is. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. If you don't want to wait until June the 6th of 2023 for things to get into your hands, do not worry because we got you covered. New releases and events. All right. We're just going to jump straight to the big screen here because it is a busy week for any cinema files out there. The first one. The Super Mario Brothers movie making its way to the big screen. We've also got Air, which is the story about how the Air Jordan shoe came to be. Mm. A couple of animated films in Argonauts and Mavka, the forest song. And also the last film, which is starring Russell Crowe, called The Pope's Exorcist. Uh, which it's so weird. looks interesting. looks so weird. I think it's, I think it's like just, I don't know. I can't get the vibe of it because I saw a trailer and I'm like, is this meant to be a comedy? So yeah, I'm 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 a bit iffy about that one. There was one that recently came out. Was it last week? Was it the dead the dead? The trailer was spooky as I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember what it was, but it's a it's a kind of another like demon exorcist kind of movie. Let me just see if I can remember what it was. I'm keen for some Super Mario Bros. movie, very much so. Air is getting some good reviews. I do like a good uh, sport biopic, so we'll see the origin stories of, of how the, the Air Jordan came to be. And yeah, the Pope's Exorcist, like Russell Crowe, he's, he's, a, he's a good actor and we'll see where, where he slots in um, being the Pope's right-hand man exercising demons and things. How'd you go? 
Couldn't find it. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought it, I just assumed it would be on my feed since I couldn't figure out what it was called. But I'm sure there's a, a, a plethora of people that are just yelling at me right now saying what the, the title is. But e- either way, it's quite the season for scary, apparently. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you're looking to uh, play some games from the comfort of your living room, basement, lounge room, wherever you do your gaming, uh, we've got a few games coming out this upcoming week. We've got Creed Rise to Glory Championship Edition. Make its way to PlayStation VR 2. Grim Grim Grimoire Once More. Hogwarts Legacy is dropping on the the legacy versions of the PlayStation and the Xbox, so PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Meet Your Maker is coming out, as well as Road 96, Mile Zero. Batora, Lost Haven, Curse of the Sea Rats, Everspace 2, Paparazzi, and EA Sports PGA Tour. So bit of a bit of a diverse list of games there. There's something for everybody. Um, I love what I've seen of Paparazzi. And um, if I could find my Switch, I'd probably buy it and play a little bit of that just to have a little bit of a cute moment taking photos of dogs because uh, that's kind of what I do in real life anyway. So uh, yeah, Paparazzi on the Switch. Paparazzi is a very, very cute game. Um, I just want to clarify that the movie was called Evil Dead Rise. So just so you know that's, that's <laughs> what that movie was. The end of this month. It's just they've done super early viewings of it, which yeah. breaks my heart. Uh, okay. Well, then, I mean, either way, it looks like it's going to be actually like a really scary one. The trailers were really messed up, to be honest. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a time. I think it's out on like around the 24th of April. I'm looking forward to going to see that at the cinemas and being... Equal parts entertained and disgusted. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to the end of episode 321 of THG. Miss Hart, anything you wanted to mention or shout out before we uh, shut this sucker down for another week? I do not, actually. Nothing to say. Stay hydrated. Nothing to say. All right, 8-Bit Nation. That is, yeah, the official end of things here for THG. But thanks, as always, for stopping on by. Be sure to rate, view, subscribe. Us and all the other podcasts to listen to on the regular. But until next time... Much love. And stay hungry. You've been listening to The Hungry Gamers, one of many gaming and geek culture-related podcasts from the 8-Bit Collective over on 8bit.net. Check out more episodes on your podcast service of choice. And while you're there, please be sure to rate and subscribe. Until next time, boys and girls, stay hungry. Stay hungry.